Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We want to be a place where you can own your faith and take next steps in your relationship with Jesus. Maybe your next step is to seek out a community and join a movement group. Maybe it's supporting movement financially for the first time or using your gifts on a volunteer team. Whatever God is calling you to do, our prayer is that you will step out in faith and let Him lead you. For more information about your next step, please visit movementcolumbus.com. Well, I'm so glad that one of our elders is so encouraging to me um, to come up here and have to uh, earn you guys' respect. Um, I hope the Word of God does that on its own, uh, but I'm super glad to be here, guys. My name is Trey Gilmore. For those of you who don't know me, I am the church planning resident here. My wife and I have traveled long and far from the great state of Arizona, and it is a desert there. If you're curious, everything out there wants to bite and eat you, or um, it's venomous. So glad to be here where mosquito bites are more exciting than what's out there. Um, We drove all across the U.S. to get out here in search of um, a church planting network that we believed was planting healthy churches, ones that were willing to uh, give up resources and people and uh, energy and time to be able to multiply because uh, we believe in that. And so we found Movement Church, who also planted Three Creeks Church, which is in Gehenna, and met them. And to be honest, guys, we, we, we met with a lot of different church playing networks, and they're the best. So uh, you guys should be honored to be a part of their church and what they're doing. And I'm just honored to be here for the next year, hopefully steal some of you guys and go permeate a culture in Columbus that is very unchurched and that needs a gospel-centered church. Um, while we were traveling, it was a long trek, and we drove through many, many states. And along the way, um, there was something that I noticed a lot of that I think begged the question, of churches and how they're able to evangelize. And these are church signs. I don't know if you've driven maybe by churches, you've read like funny signs, weird signs. You're like, what is that trying to say? Um, Or maybe you've even seen like billboards on the highway that's like, God is truth. And has like a picture of a monkey with like a a line through it or something. And they want you to call the number because everybody's just going to call the number while they're driving. Um, But you know, you've seen stuff like that. And that's one of the things that reminds me like, man, like, My heart is to create um, a space, a church where people are able to encounter God. And to do that, I think might be more than just a sign. So here's some funny ones. I didn't find these along the way, but these are on the internet. This one's great. This one had to have been done by a dad. Choose the bread of life or you are toast. Not wrong, but not a great sign. The next one, he is divine and we are the branches. I like want to say this like a Jamaican, like he is divine, man. We are the branches. This heat wave is temporary. Be certain you won't face an eternal one. That would work really well in Arizona because you literally go outside and you feel like your face is melting. Too hot to keep changing sign. Sin bad, Jesus good, details inside. (laughs) Clearly didn't have a comma for that one. And forgive your enemies. It messes with their heads. If you're uh, competitive like I am, um, I'm a board gamer. I actually really like that one because it's so true. So true. And the last one, a little bit desperate. What could this sign say to get you here Sunday? It's good. It's very good. Now, I know that we kind of laugh and joke, but the reality of it is a lot of churches, like this is kind of their evangelistic effort is a sign that hopes people will come to their church. But the, reality, the truth of it is, in today's world, in the world that we live in, uh, we need more than a sign, more than a mailer, more than a cool website. We need people who reach people. And people today um, need to be fighting for ways to do that. Uh, A sign can be funny, it can be eye-grabbing, but it's ultimately 
uh, not going to just have everybody show up at your church. That's the truth of it. Part of the reason why um, Sarah and I love, love so much the church and finding new ways to reach people is, um, is planning churches does that. It does that very thing. It's the opportunity for people to be exposed to the gospel in new, unique ways. Um, of course, not altering the truth of God's word, but finding new methodologies that are um, just relevant to the culture that we live in today. And so Columbus was, was totally um, ripe for that. I'll give you a couple of statistics that might help you kind of understand the area that we live in. There's about 2.5 million people in Columbus. Of those 2.5 million, 1.3 claim to go to church or have a relationship with Christ. Um, so that's about 52%. But of that, which is astonishing, three-fourths of those people don't know what the Great Commission is. Um, and half of them don't believe that they're, about half, don't believe they're personally called to evangelize. So about 650,000 people in Columbus that are Christians are like, I don't need to share my faith. I don't need to think that I need to do that. And three-fourths of them don't even know the Great Commission, which the Great Commission is the scripture that is kind of our foundation of why we evangelize, of why Jesus calls us to do that. So if you do the math, that means that there's 1.2 million people in Columbus who don't know Jesus and who don't go to church. Now, that's a lot of people. Uh, I like the stat, the next stat, that's um, about one-fourth of that, which is 300,000 people have never heard the gospel or haven't had it articulated to them. I know a lot of times you think, ah, oh, we're in America. Like, everyone's heard the gospel. They know. They've seen the sign on the highway. They clearly know. But the, the truth is there's 300,000 people in, within 20, 30-minute drive of us that have never heard the gospel. To put that number into kind of maybe like a, a, um, an idea that you would know is the Ohio State Stadium seats about 100,000 people. And so on game day, I made the mistake of trying to go to Target during that. And it was a terrible idea because it took so much longer to get there. And I realized, I'm like, man, if this was, if there was three stadiums all full of people who didn't know the gospel, imagine the chaos in our city. The traffic would be three times worse. The parking would be three times worse. People are already parking like everywhere they can find. It's crazy. Those are all people who live within our, our area, our work commute, our lives, our neighborhoods, who don't know the gospel, who never even heard it really. So it's clear that, that Columbus is ripe for this. Um, if you're a millennial as well, there's some stats for us. If, 20, if you're 23 to about 38, if you're in that 38 range, don't worry, you're kinda, you might be a cusper, so you might not be a millennial. We had some people last service who were like, I don't wanna be a millennial, Trey. I'm 37 and I, don't, I didn't think I was. But regardless, one of the stats is that um, 47% of millennials basically believe it's wrong to share your faith in hopes of them believing in what you believe in. 47%, it's about half. And another staggering stat is that 40% of millennials believe that if, if someone disagrees with you or what you're saying, that it automatically means they're judging you. If you think about that, like where is there room for evangelism? Because a lot of it is sharing your faith and probably encountering someone who doesn't agree with what you believe in, doesn't agree with where you find your hope. And so it's any wonder why we struggle so much at evangelizing and sharing our faith is because the culture that we live in kind of dictates the pattern of that. So um, I want to get into um, what evangelism should look like for today. But I think there's a couple things that we often think of, and I call them a little bit archaic ideas of evangelism that maybe we need to re, kind of rethink through. The first one is that evangelism is just a program. It's just a program. What I mean by that is, oh, our church throws this like outreach event and I go to that and that's like evangelism. Or um, we do this street reach event. So I go to that and that is evangelism. Evangelism is the program that I go to. That's one. 
The second one is that evangelism is a gift, meaning like I either have the gift or I don't. If I don't have it, then I'm off the hook. If I do have it, then I guess I have to go and evangelize. And if you're introverted, you're probably like, I definitely don't have that gift. I don't want to go talk to people I don't know. And so you just kind of use this idea of it's a gift, I either have it or I don't. And then the third one is probably the most original, and that's that evangelism is a conversation, like singular. Like I meet Joe on the street, and my goal in evangelism is to get Joe to believe or either believe or deny Christ at the end of our conversation. So I have to have this conversation that brings it about, compels him to it, gives him the, the opportunity to respond, and whatever happens, that's evangelism. Now, those are like all, I think, facets of evangelism, but in today's world, those aren't necessarily going to cut it. So I want to pose today uh, kind of a new, uh, new foundation from the ground up that's biblically kind of reinforced that helps us be confident about it. Because if we look at the stats, we can tell that it's, it's a difficult world we live in to share our faith. It's overwhelming. We're fearful. I think a lot of us have like concrete around our feet because um, we're just fearful of rejection. We're fearful of losing relationships with people that we love deeply, that we've known for a very long time. We're fearful of even just being weird or awkward. There's, there's a lot to it that we're demotivated by and that uh, Satan has kind of a grasp on us. So I want to start with the kind of ultra foundation, if you will. Um, and this is the Great Commission, which is Matthew 28. Now, uh, Matthew 28, for those of you who don't know this, it, Jesus is basically sending out his disciples. He's about to leave um, to ascend to heaven. And he gives them kind of one last, like, hey, let's huddle together. Here's our goal and break and go. And what he says in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, he says, go, literally go, go and make disciples of all nations, of everywhere, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them everything I've commanded you. So go, make disciples, teach them how to continue to make disciples. This is kind of the framework. And he says at the end, he says, I'll be with you surely till the end of the age. So Jesus didn't create this as a prerequisite that's now fulfilled and that is now done with. He creates it as saying, this is constantly the DNA of anybody who follows Christ is to be willing to go and make disciples. And this came really to head for me um, a couple months ago where I was being assessed for church planting. And they, they kind of go through this assessment where you basically determine if you kind of have the gifting and the wiring and the experience to be able to plant a church. And so the pre-assessment was this online kind of questionnaire that I took. And uh, one of the five categories it ranked you in was personal evangelism. And so I'm sitting here taking the test online and I start to read some of these questions and I want to read them to you um, so you get an idea here. It says that in the past year, basically in the past year, how many people um, have, you, have you reached out to with and shared your faith with? In the past year, how many deep meaningful relationships have you had with non-believers? In the past year, how many people have you helped in taking in their next step in their spiritual journey with Jesus? And there's a bunch of questions like that. And I'm just sitting there and I'm like, oh man, I'm not doing so well. My answers were practically zero. Don't tell Mark this, but, but yeah, I mean, I was terrible at evangelism. And you're thinking, well, this guy's great. Going to go plant a church and can't even share his faith. And it was, guys, it was eye-opening to me. It was really where I was like, oh, wow. Because what had happened was I was a part of a church of about 800 and I was a student pastor over a big ministry and I had tons of leaders constantly developing people and, and kind, of, kind of helping them become higher up in the church, which was great. But what happened was me being a pastor became a higher priority than my first calling, which is to be a follower of Christ, to be an ambassador of his good news. And what had happened was I was literally not doing the things of Jesus. I was not around the people that Jesus would be around. I was around church people, which is great. But Jesus also, also spent time with 
the lost and the broken and the hurting. And so it was eye-opening to me that I should be willing to fight for this and that this needs to be a priority in my life. So I hope that hopefully that gives you a little bit of fire under your seats that you know that this is a calling that we should get into. So are we ready? Are we ready to get into the word? If you grab your Bibles below, um, we're gonna jump into 1 Peter chapter three. It's page 936. So for those of you who didn't bring your Bibles, we do promote thievery here in this instance. You can take that Bible and look up page 936, if you will. We're gonna read it together. Let me give you a little bit of context while you're getting there because I already cheated and I already know where I'm going here. Um, First Peter is written by the Apostle Peter. For those of you who don't know who the Apostle Peter is, Apostle Peter was one of Jesus' closest followers when he was here on earth. And when Jesus leaves to go to heaven, he basically puts the church in Peter's hands. He literally says, hey, you're gonna be the rock of the church. So you're sitting in this very seat now, movement church is here now because of Peter. And Peter was this um, kind of emotional, passionate guy who would constantly do the wrong things, but then like would turn back and do the right things. And so Jesus gives it to this guy. So Peter has kind of established the church and he's in Rome, uh, arguably in prison, writing to people who are in Roman dominated areas all throughout uh, the region. And so he's writing to people who are in a kind of a Greco-Roman culture and um, they are under Roman rule. And so as we're getting into this, one key thing to remember is that the word evangelism that we talk about is actually a Greek rooted word. Uh, it's euangelium, and it basically means good news. And so at the time of Rome and a lot of these other kind of factions would fight, they go to war. And you know that when you're at a village, you know, back home, like whoever wins is probably going to go take you over, enslave you, all these kind of things. So when the battle would ensue, whoever would win, they would have somebody ride back and they would tell the village the good news, which is we've won. We're free. We don't have to worry about the battle. And it's fitting today in our world that the evangelism is really the same thing, that We are enslaved to sin, that we are deeply broken and flawed, and that Jesus provides the opportunity for us to be whole in Christ. And that's the good news that we preach today. So that's where that word comes from. So when we look at this, we need to be thinking about the good news to them really is life or death. And the good news to us really is life or death. So page 936, we're going to start in verse 13. Verse 13 says, now who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if somebody asks you about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. But, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. Now, I love this passage because Peter's writing to these Christians who are figuring out how do we follow Jesus in this world? Because Rome does not like having other kings around them. It's Rome or death. So the Christians here are trying to figure out what does it look like to follow Jesus under Roman oppression? I would argue we're here trying to figure out what does it look like to follow Jesus, to share our faith in a culture that literally thinks even if we disagree with them, that we're judging them. It's hard and it's pervasive all throughout our workplace, our friendships, even our family, online. And so we're kind of wrestling with the same thing. And so Peter says at the beginning, as he says, uh, it's, it, are you eager to do good? Are you eager to do good? And I love that phrase because it's kind of an initial heart check and we can think, all right, am I eager to do good? Am I eager to share the gospel? Am I eager to live a life that honors Jesus? And I would say a lot of times in my heart, like I just do it out of obedience. It's like, well, I've been in church for quite a few years and 
I know I need to show up on a Sunday. I know I need to probably give some of my money. I know I need, probably need to, to love people and invite them over for dinner. But I, there's a difference between doing it out of an obligation and an obedience than doing it out of an eagerness. Like that person needs Jesus and I'm going to do everything I possibly can to get them to encounter him. There's a difference there. And so Peter's writing to these people and he's saying, he spends chapters before this saying, hey, like it's tough. Remind, remind yourselves of the gospel. Remind yourselves of why you're here. Remind yourselves of why it's worth it. And then what he does is he's like, don't worry about the threats. And the threats then were death. The threats here now are like, they block you on Facebook, right? Or I'm just kidding. I mean, they could be like a deep family member. It is like a, a deep kind of feeling and fear. But he says, don't worry about them. Instead, this is what he says. Instead, if you look in verse 15, the beginning of verse 15, he says, worship Christ as your Lord. Worship Christ as your Lord. Now, when you initially read that, you're like, okay, yes, of course. It says that all the time in the New Testament, worship Christ. I get it. But I want to break down what that means. What does it actually mean to worship Christ? It doesn't just mean singing songs, even though singing songs is absolutely worship, but it means an entire kind of lifestyle that's embodied around who Christ is. I'll give you an example. If you think of somebody in your life who you like, who's an idol, who's maybe famous, like an actor, or a musician or band or um, maybe an athlete. And if you think about them, if I was to tell you, hey, that person you love, I want you to worship them. I want you to completely worship them. Well, if you were to do that, you were to follow those instructions, you'd probably start to maybe wear the clothes that they wear, like the songs that they like, eat the food that they like. You'd start to kind of look like them because worship naturally ensues that. Your idols will dictate your actions. And so if, if you really love someone or something, you'll start to want to be like them. Does any, has anybody heard of the show, This Is Us? My wife and I love that show. The fourth, fourth season just started. It's already a tearjerker. I, I cry more in that. It's like free counseling. I cry more in that show than any, any other time. But in the show, there's this actress. Her name is Mandy Moore, and she's a phenomenal actor. My wife and I really both love her. And it, when I see her, she makes me, more than anybody else, want to eat HelloFresh because she's a sponsor for HelloFresh. HelloFresh is this like, you know, grocery thing in the box. And, but it's like, if I really like her and we like her and she's a great actress or whatever, I'm like, oh, Mandy Moore's eating HelloFresh. I should eat HelloFresh because I'll be just like Mandy Moore. And that's, that's silly, but that's literally how we think. Oh, if that person wears those Jordans, like I'm going to wear those Jordans. Or if that person drives that car, I want to drive that car. And so when it says worship Jesus as Lord, it's really talking about reforming our hearts so that we literally live like Jesus, that we walk like Jesus. First John chapter two says that if we want to remain in Jesus, if we want to abide in him, that we will walk in the same way that he walked. So it means literally being like him. Our idols dictate our actions. So when we follow Jesus, it requires our heart to follow after him. Ephesians 5 says that we, if we walk in love, that we walk in the way of Jesus. And so the first kind of um, new idea in evangelism that I want to give to you guys today is this idea of embodiment. It's becoming like Christ. To remember it simply, it's literally just walking like Christ, to walk like Christ. And if you're thinking about that, um, and you're like, what does that look like? What's kind of the foundation for walking like Christ, for being like Christ? I would give you John 13. John 13 is this opportunity where Jesus tells his disciples, he says, hey, I'm gonna give you a new commandment. And he says this, he says, love each other as I have loved you. And when you love each other, it will prove to the world that you are my disciples. It'll prove to the world that you're my disciples by loving one another the way that I have loved you. 
One of the most heartbreaking things that I encounter when I talk to people who don't go to church or who aren't Christians is they never really have anything bad to say about Jesus. They have a lot of bad to say about his people. And the reality of it is that a lot of us like argue, we fight, we disagree with other churches. Wow, they do that down the road and we don't agree with that. And they're a bunch of idiots and they're not, they're not discipling people. Like, and we have this like banter and Jesus says, well, hold on, wait, love each other radically because I loved you. And this will prove to the world that you're, that you're my followers. So embodiment is truly loving people. And that's the foundation. That's the baseline of embodiment. To put it a little more practical for you, I have this guy that I follow. His name's Hugh Halter. He is a normal guy. And the reason that I love him is because I think he embodies this like no one else. But he's just a normal guy who paints houses when he needs money. He lives like spirit-led. He just doesn't like, he, he's not this big speaker who's gonna invite 100,000 people, have this awesome message and thousands of people come to Christ. He lives intentionally with a missional mindset. And he has kind of three ideas that are kind of stemmed out of this scripture that help us embody this. The first one is leaving and living among. Leaving and living among. Now, I know you're thinking leaving, that seems kind of negative, but if you read Jesus's stories in the gospels, 99% of his miracles, healings, stories are outside of the temple. 99%. So a lot of us come here and we hope like, oh, I'm going to invite my new friend today, like Trig or Mark or Trey is going to drop some bombs and they're just going to come to Christ. And that's sometimes how we think like, hey, you better, you better really drop today, Trey. Like you got a new guy coming in, like you got to better drop the word. And the truth of it is like Jesus went out among, he lived among. Each one of us should be thinking intentionally about how we can create space in our lives, margin in our lives to live among people who don't go to church. And I know I'm not saying, hey, I can get a free pass to go boating on Sundays because we're, you know, because we're at church or I want to go to like, I want to go run 10 miles Sunday morning and I don't want to go to church. I'm not saying don't go to church. Church matters. What I am saying is that when we, sometimes when we go into the church, we become infatuated by the idea of healthy community, which is awesome and great. But what happens is we lose sight of the very person that we were and the people that we were around. We lose sight of the people that struggle with brokenness, that are hurting, and we become almost distanced to a, to a fault. We're not able to minister to them. We're not able to think the way they think, talk the way they talk. I've uh, read a couple of statistics that some of the um, kind of guys who study missions say that the most effective evangelistic Christian is a, like a newer Christian. It's in their first year of accepting Christ. And the reason why is because they had still lived this past life with all these people who don't know Jesus. And so all their friendships, relationships are still among those who don't know Jesus. And so they're able to evangelize because they just received the kind of this new hope. And so they're willing to share it. But after a while, we start to, we start to go to church. And then we, before we realized that, like, like I had taken in that assessment, I was like, I don't think I have any non-Christian friends. This is crazy. So the first one, leaving and living among. The second one is listening. Now, uh, I learned about a weekend in my marriage. I thought I was good at listening. Turns out I'm not. Um, if you're a married man, you can maybe amen that. But um, what I was doing is I was listening to fix, whereas listening to hear and understand is what my wife truly wanted. And uh, I think our, our Christian kind of selves are the same way. We're not very good at listening. In fact, think of the thousands of people that you uh, will encounter that have been at church and are, are what, consider, what are considered de-churched, meaning like they grew up in the church, they have experiences with the church, and they're like, I want nothing to do with that. And so they have this deep, seated root issue that's pain, suffering. And instead what happens is they lash out in certain ways and we want to like attack them and cut off these branches of like, well, that's not true. That's not true. This isn't true. Instead of seeking to listen, to understand, to get to the root and the depth of how they were hurt. 
Maybe they're right, maybe they're wrong. It doesn't validate it. But our response should be listening to understand, not listening to defend. A good example, a couple weeks ago, I had bumped into this guy and we just started talking about church and stuff like that. And um, he said that he was religious. And I use the word air quotes because I can usually tell when someone says they're religious, they're probably not like super invested in the church um, because they're probably like not sure about church and everything. And, and so he just started to go off about, well, like, you know, when I've been to churches and all they, want, all they do is talk about how they want my money. And I've, I've, I've known a lot of Christian leaders and they're liars and they're, you know, they're, they're terrible and they're prideful and they hide behind it. And every Sunday they show up and they say, I'm doing great, even though they're not. And it's just, it's hypocrisy. I can't handle it. And then when my, one of my really good friends committed suicide, I knew there was no way that God exists because God would not allow that to happen. And so he's like telling me all this and like, I'm like churning in my head because I, I like, I'm, I'm so stubborn. Like I love arguing. I could be a lawyer as a second job. And I'm like, ooh, I'm going to nail him. Like I got all these good points. And, and then my spirit was just kind of like, can I just listen? Like, just listen. And I could have been like, well, you know what? Jesus talks 48% about money and half, you know, and all this. And so you need to just suck it up and hear about money. Or, well, you know what? We're all, we're all sinners and that's how the church is. And the church is not messy and you need to choose the church regardless. And I could have had all this stuff, right? And in that moment, like we want to be like Peter whenever Jesus is being taken. I don't know if you guys know this scene, but Jesus is about to be taken by this kind of mob to go be crucified. And, P, and, and, and nobody has, nobody's doing anything. Jesus is like, basically like, come take me. And Peter whips out his sword and he chops off one of the guy's ears. And Jesus is just like, come on. Like, really? Do you really think that's like what I need right now? Is you to defend me? And I think a lot of times we think that. We're like, this person's bashing the church. They don't understand. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to defend them. I don't know about you, but I don't know very many people that came to Christ over you giving them a compelling argument that was defending all their hurt and trauma. Maybe you have. We can talk later. I'd love to hear the story. But the truth of it is, like, we're called to listen, to understand, and to hear. The last one is loving without strings. And in the Christian world, we call this grace. It's loving unconditionally, no agenda, no strings attached, finding ways to love people radically with nothing in return. And I love this one because a lot of people are pretty like cynical about the state of the world right now in a lot of different ways. And I'm not saying that I'm like happy about it. What I do realize is I think that the more that the world becomes pride-driven, power-driven, cynical, consumeristic, the more that loving without strings will be more and more attractive and more and more compelling. The love of Christ will be more compelling in a world that's distraught. And you can check church history. That's been the truth for 2000 some years when, Jesus, when Paul, Peter established the church. Loving without strings is an incredibly powerful way to show people that you care, no strings attached. So some of these things are, are pretty practical. And um, I was wrestling with like, I just want to give you guys a couple just to be able to like have some meat of like what this could look like. If you're young and you're single and you got time, get a part-time job just so you can talk to people. Get a job where you can know people, you can meet people, you can be around people who don't believe in Jesus. If you have a family and you're like, I got no time for that. Well, put your kids in soccer and then you can stand beside the parent who needs to hear, be heard, you know, for an hour a week. You're like, well, my kids aren't that good at soccer. It doesn't matter. They're not going to be in pro anyways. Just do it for the conversation. If you're like, well, I don't know about that. I'm introverted. That's overwhelming. Join a book club. Everybody looks at their books the whole time and you still have meaningful conversation. You're like, well, I don't really like reading. Who cares if you don't like reading? It's not about the reading. Are you, getting my, are you tracking with me here? Like 
When you become eager to do good, you'll do anything at all costs to find ways to be amongst people who need to hear Jesus. And that's just the truth of it. Have people over for dinner. You're like, well, I'm not a very good cook. I don't know, buy Chipotle and then cater it or dump it out and don't tell them what it is. Have people over for dinner. I love having people over for dinner because it's impossible, I've found, for somebody to not like you after you shared a meal with them across the table. It really is. It really is. Have a neighborhood like front yard party. People like to have parties in their backyards. Have them in the front yard. Everybody sees your front yard. They're just gonna come over and you just make burgers. I don't know. There's some ideas. Be confident. Find one to do. <laughs> now, here's the thing. We're not off the hook yet because there are three, these are three great steps. Embodiment is vital. But here's the thing. Embodiment by itself is passivity. And what I mean by that is, I heard of a story. It was kind of inspirational to me at first. It was a church planner who went into a community. He parachute dropped, which is not what I'm doing. Well, I'm hopefully going to have a launch team, know some people, have connections, resources. This person literally just went with his wife like, to a community, didn't know anybody, and was like, we're just going to establish a church from the grounds up. And so they started to love on their community radically. They started to know all their neighbors, help their neighbors, minister to the neighbors, all this kind of stuff. And they became like kind of the popular people of the neighborhood. Well, the church planning mentor calls them up and he says, hey, how's everything going? They said, oh, great. We know everybody by name. They know us. You know, we're able to share life together. And he's like, awesome. That's so great. He's like, how many people are on your launch team? And he's like, zero. And he's like, zero. Whoa. And he starts to kind of dig deeper. And he's like, well, why zero? And he, he's like, well, have you, have you shared your faith with them? Well, not, not necessarily. Like, we don't want to, you know, we don't want to cause any tension. Well, have you like, share the good news, like the gospel, like what it means and why you're doing what you're doing. Well, no, 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 no. Well, have you like talked about your launch team and your church and what you plan on doing? Mm, they're great people, but they have zero people on their launch team. They don't have a church. The truth of it is like embodiment's great, but it's not enough. There's a quote that maybe you've heard. It's coined by Francis Assisi. Um, he's like an old uh, monk, but it's actually not him, but somehow he got put on him. But the, the quote is, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. It's this idea that you, through your embodiment, people will see Jesus and you won't even need to say anything. And while like, that's great for people who maybe aren't living a God-honoring life, it's actually not right because you need to use words. Because Jesus literally yells at his disciples in Mark 10. He sends them out to go share the good news. He says, go and announce, go and proclaim the good news. Proclaim the good news. Proclaim with our mouths. When Jesus heals people, he doesn't just heal them and walk away and say, wow, he healed them. That's great. He says, no, go, sin and go, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. There's words, there's power in the word of Christ. We should be willing to proclaim it. Um, I think that a lot of times we become fearful because we think, well, yeah, but Trey, you're, you know, you're, you've had a degree, you know, Mark's whatever. Like, you guys are smart. Like, I don't know. I don't got 10 Bible verses I can use. Here's all you gotta know. If I was to take you after the service and stand in the back, I would ask you this question. I would say, I uh, said, who is Jesus and why does he matter to you? Who is Jesus? If you can answer that and why does he matter to you, then you're good. If you can't, then I would say, what do you even believe? Because if you can't explain what you believe and why Jesus is compelling to you, then I think you're, you might need to reevaluate. Because I think you can only share at the depth you're able to believe. Same as you can only teach at a level of you're able to understand. So thinking about those questions, who is Jesus and what has he done in my life? And what can he do in your life? It's truly all we need. You don't got to have like this 10 PowerPoint slide. You don't got to do the Romans road. You don't got to do like all these things, okay? You do got to obviously like point them to who Jesus is, but don't be intimidated. 
Don't be intimidated. The reason why proclamation matters so deeply is, is because of this. And this is kind of my opening to hopefully a lot of you is, I think about it, like there are so many people in the world that are intrinsically morally better than me. There's, there's thousands, maybe even millions. There's tons more people who will give way more money than I will ever be able to give to things. There's people who are way less prideful than me. There's people who are kinder and more gentler than me, more sensitive. There's people who probably drive the speed limit. <laughs> there's people who are just morally better than me. Well, so if we're looking at morals, like who's better here? Like, well, I don't know. Like that guy gives more money than Trey, but Trey's a Christian. So, so why does proclamation matter? Proclamation matters because I'm able to say, hey, I'm not perfect, but like, here's where my hope comes from. I'm broken, I'm sinful, and I have no chance, but I found hope in Jesus. I found hope in not being enslaved that when the good news is proclaimed, when they come back from battle and say, hey, you're free, that I believe that, and that changes something inside of me. And that embodiment comes because of that, not as a work that I have to do, but as a, an eagerness that I get to attain and be passionate about. And that's why proclamation matters because there will always be people that are better than you at certain things. And that's the truth of it. So the difference that separates us is the hope that we have in Christ and the hope that we're willing to explain and proclaim. So it's walking and talking like Jesus. Walking and talking like Jesus. That's the main idea today is I would say modern evangelism looks like this. It's walking and it's talking like Jesus. Walking and talking like Jesus, embodying, proclaiming. Now, I think that a lot of, a lot of us, and, and I'll be honest, like this is my own heart, is we're fearful. I think we're encapsulated. I think Satan doesn't need to put up any physical barriers. I think all he needs to do is get in your head and tell you, that um, you don't want to do that. You don't want to talk to that person because they might reject you and then, and then you're not going to have that friend or you're fearful of being isolated. You're fearful of being weird. And we're just kind of enslaved. And I just want to speak against that right now to you because what, here's, here's what I see in the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is right after Jesus ascends to heaven. He's told them, hey, go and make disciples. Peter, remember Peter who wrote this? He says in the end of verse 15 here, he says this. He says, if you, if basically, if you worship God, or if you worship Jesus as Lord in your hearts, then get ready to basically answer to people about the hope that you have in Christ. So what I was just saying about how we need to proclaim, people will ask you about the hope that you have in Christ. And he says, make sure you do that with gentleness and respect. Make sure you do that with gentleness and respect. He says that. Now here's, here's what I love so much about the book of Acts because they're kind of in a similar time period, right? He's writing this. This is just a little bit after he developed the church. Peter is a normal dude. He's not super educated. He's an ordinary guy. He was a fisherman. And he goes to these Pharisees, these people of the law who knew all the Old Testament. And he goes up and he basically says, hey. And he gives them like five sermons throughout chapters two through 10. And, and one of the most powerful lines that I read in there is this. It says, the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. I would argue that you have more influence than myself than anyone on staff will ever have because you're, you're ordinary people living, living out Jesus's call. People kind of expect us to get it, to be able to explain it, to be able to do it. But the reason why Peter's was so powerful was because he was able to proclaim the good news as an ordinary man. So I just wanna encourage you guys that this is the life that God's called you to, whatever vocation you're in, sphere of influence, your family, you have the opportunity to share the gospel in profound ways. You're able to walk and talk like Jesus. And that's truly what evangelism is. I want to conclude, if you want to, there's some papers on the edges of your rows here. If you could grab one of those and pass them down. I want to conclude with this. And I'm going to invite the band up here in a second.
or right now, depending on how fast they get up here. This card here is, this is the Ingalls um, Steps to Christ. Now, no system is perfect. I know that, I understand it, but this one I love and it's helpful because it helps you realize that evangelism isn't just a conversation. It's a constant journey of people becoming more and more aware of who Jesus is and what he means in their life. So what I'd ask you to do is I believe there's probably two camps of people out here uh, of you guys. And one of them is maybe you're new. This is your first week. You've never been to church. Maybe you've been here a while. Maybe you're like, I've kind of been playing church, but I haven't really like believed in Jesus. I haven't really like made that a truth in my life. I would ask you in the next minute or so, the band's going to play. And uh, I would just ask that you would pray through where you're at on this, that you would ask the spirit to give you kind of uh, steps to, to, um, to grow in that, that you would tell someone, tell someone to help take you on that journey. People reach people. And if you've been here for a while and you're just kind of sitting on your butt and you're like, you know what, Trey, I would, if I took that test that you took, I would fail miserably as well. And I know that there's 300,000 people in Columbus who don't know the gospel. Three football stadiums, three Ohio State football stadiums of people who don't know the gospel and I need to do something about it. Then I would ask you just to, just to think of one person, to pray about one person in your life who needs to take another step with God, who you know, like, I just need to have the conversation. I need to do it. I need to create margin to have that. Would you kind of figure out where they're at on here? Would you pray that the spirit would help guide you, create opportunities for you? A couple weeks ago, I prayed that the spirit would give me people to talk to. And I've, I've had at least four people who have just come up to me in the past two weeks to talk about Jesus and my life and their life and their sin. It's crazy. Would you do that over the next minute? And then the band's gonna play. Just take some time, uh, just you praying over that. And the band will continue after. Thanks for listening to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We hope wherever you are, this message encourages you to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or to give online, please visit movementcolumbus.com.